Hello and welcome to Coco Pods podcast. My name is Dr. Bola Sogade. This podcast is a feature of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. And we are fortunate to have with us today Dr. Cynthia Korn, a clinical psychologist in San Francisco. So hello and welcome Cynthia to Coco Pods podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thank you Bola for having me. I'm here to just offer some insight into what I do as a psychologist in my practice and maybe answer some questions that people might have. I've been working in the field doing psychotherapy with patients from adolescents to adults for 15 years, and I currently have a private practice where I specialize in individual adults and couples. I see people of all walks of life going through many different psychological challenges, and I love my work and find it fascinating and become very close in the relationships I develop with my clients. So that's what I do. Right now, I do this, obviously, both through telemedicine and in my office, just in case people want to know about that. And now that you said that, can you, I mean, can people see you across state lines or for the people in California, if they wanted to use your services, how can they reach you, uh, Dr. Cynthia Cohn? I cannot work in your area, for example. In other states, I have to be licensed. Now, in California, I can see someone anywhere in the state by Zoom. You know, I have a protected HIPAA authorized connection for people so that they can sign on and have an online session with me. And I do that with couples as well. Couples may meet together or they may meet even when they're in different places and on different screens. So that's very, that makes it flexible for couples. But I don't generally work in other states, it's possible for a psychologist or a clinician who is licensed in a state who has a different licensure, because there are many types of therapists. There are psychiatrists, psychologists, and there are masters of family therapy and social workers who do the same kind of work that I do with just different foci. And they can all figure out how to get their license in a different state from where they live if they want to. For example, they have a population in another state that they want to work with. Sometimes that takes a little work. You you might have to pass some other exams there, et cetera, to be licensed in that state. But that's the current system we have in this country. It has started to expand partly because of COVID, but it was already expanding before that. And there are some groups of states that are starting to have a regional agreement about that because it's becoming more popular to want to see a therapist who's in another state. And it should be possible. Well, thank you so much uh, for that. I must say I had the most wonderful time with you and your dad this fall at a conference we all attended. Your dad is the famous Dr. J.N. Cohn, MD, professor of medicine. And he was instrumental 
in starting the subspecialty of heart failure. He founded the Heart Failure Society of America, of which he served as its first president, and also the Journal of Cardiac Failure, which he served as its first editor-in-chief. And today, we all talk about an ICU, an intensive care unit. But the truth of the matter is Dr. J. N. Cohn, MD, fellow American College of Cardiology, pursued for 60 years and developed groundbreaking treatments for cardiovascular, that is heart disease. He also spearheaded the use of physiologic principles that is using normal functions of the body to improve the management of diseases such as high blood pressure, heart failure, and shock, which actually led to the development of intensive care units. So Cynthia, can you just tell us a little bit about your dad? Well, I'm very proud of my dad and all of his achievements. It's hard to really speak about it as well as his CV does, of course. All I can say is when you read some of the groundbreaking work that he did, you realize that he was there during some of the biggest developments and also instrumental in them along the way in terms of the history of the last, you know, 40 years or more of heart, all of the innovations in treating heart failure and shock and heart disease, et cetera. When we were young, my dad worked um, constantly. So we knew he was doing a lot of important things. He wasn't around that much, (laughs) but we were very proud of him and we looked up to him and we all learned to be innovators and question authority. And we all saw science and art as both about innovation and about creativity, which is very important and about taking risks and challenging the status quo, which I think is what my dad did for years. And it took him a long time to get the recognition I think he fully deserved. And now he's very focused on prevention of heart disease. And all of it, as you said, when you were introducing him, goes back to this idea that the body has a a great role to play in making the uh, therapies work and be successful. Well, thank you. You know, for decades, Dr. J.N. Cohn did work in research and disease management, and he received the American College of Cardiology 2021 Lifetime Achievement Award. And he worked, he emphasized early detection and preventive therapy through the Rasmussen Center for Cardiovascular Disease Prevention. You know, your dad, Dr. J.N. Cohn, has published more than 750 original articles, three textbooks, and numerous book chapters. And as a measure of his impact in the field, he has been cited more than 16,000 times. And two of his articles have been cited more than 1,000 times. He has given more than 40 named lectures lectureships and 84 invited lectures for which even I have been a beneficiary. 
So say thank you to your dad for his contribution to science in that regard. Yeah, I will. Now, so just going back on, you know, for 15 years, you've worked in private practice with individuals and couples who want to feel better or create change in their lives. What types of clients does a psychologist like you typically see? Uh, Let's see. Well, it runs the gamut. I think therapy has become something that people see as a very good thing. And that's wonderful because I think it's so beneficial, even for people who are very high functioning and doing well. It's a way to have a space for yourself to explore and learn more about yourself, to reflect on your work and your life. If you're an adult, to think about what you want to do, to expand your horizons. It's sometimes I get calls just about that. People want to become a better version of themselves. That's one uh, way that therapy helps people. Another way is they want to become better at relating, having a better relationship with their partner or with their family. And then beyond that, there, are, of course, are a lot of people who have anxiety um, that's severe or depression. Those are two of the most major things that people complain about at the start of therapy, and that's why they're there. Then people also have more serious disorders. And they may come to you for something like bipolar disorder or an eating disorder, for example. I'm just giving examples. You know, it's every possible thing. So, and then there are people who have been depressed before, and now they um, are feeling like they might be getting depressed again, and they want to nip it in the bud and talk about it. I'm just giving a few um, scenarios. Like you said, there are many issues that can ultimately affect anybody's psychological health, whether relationship difficulty, anxiety, depression, work stress, life transition, trauma, loss, insecurity, or people may be seeking direction, a deeper connection, a more creative, fulfilling life, or just feel lost or stuck. How do you tailor the treatment, the therapy you provide to your unique individual client needs? Well, when someone comes in, I usually learn a little bit about what they feel is going on and what they need. And then I'll talk to them about their history and gain a sense of their background, sometimes their family, early family relationships, and that informs the work. And then we can, if they would like to, find a way to set up some goals that they want to achieve in therapy and revisit that periodically. But most of the time, what ends up happening from session to session is just people come and they talk about what's happening and how they're feeling. You know, there are interventions that I will do with them to help them deepen their understanding of the connection between feelings and thoughts they're having and behavior and how to either shift that and change the pattern that they're in that maybe is creating a rut for them or a problem or to open up to new ways of seeing and being. 
It's a little bit hard to encapsulate what happens in therapy. And that's why I'm speaking somewhat abstractly. I think it really is about the interaction and the relationship with the therapist is key to the growth and change. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, major life transitions can also have a profound effect on mental health, such as with young adults graduating, post-grad life, mid-life, career change, you know. So, for instance, there's a couple out there that maybe they came to you just before marriage for counseling, for which you helped them. They return to you now because they're having problems with conceiving. It's taking a long time for them to have a baby. How might you approach working with this couple, presenting with this set of problems? This is a very difficult problem to have, but it's also a time when a couple can come together. And so I would, of course, want to understand who they are, you know, learn a little bit about the situation they're in, in terms of exactly where in the process of trying to um, have a child they are and what they've been through along the way. I would want to explore the emotions around that. I would want to know what their thoughts are about what to do next. I would want to hear about all of the details of the process they've been through with their medical professionals helping them. And I would actually want to shepherd them through the emotional situation. They step one step at a time to get to the next phase, whatever that might mean. Now, for some couples, that might mean they have to think about doing something they've never thought about, which is changing their their view of what it might mean to have a child, expanding it, maybe trying infertility treatments if they haven't seeing a specialist that they haven't, thinking about adoption. There are so many different ways it can go. And depending on the couple, it might be a very tentative and delicate area for them to discuss on their own. And this is a space where it can feel safe to bring things up where they might have differences or difficulties with their values, their backgrounds, their thoughts about what it means to have a family. And that would all be part of the therapy with that couple. So, you know, how about working with couples with, for instance, a difficult teenager dealing with parenting together and maybe they're really in crisis with a teenager? Mm -hmm. I've had a case like this where I actually worked with both the teenager and the parents. And um, it was very, very hard because the parents actually had different views about what to do. In this particular case, the mom was not setting good boundaries with the daughter and the father didn't like it, but he was gone, gone. He had gone the other way and he was in an extreme rigid position towards the child. And neither of those was right. And this this child felt both neglected and constrained because of the difference between the parents. And she needed more attention, but also more uh, boundaries and more of a sense of structure. It sounds a bit like contradictory, but that's very common with, with teenagers. They need both. They need very strong boundaries often, 
even though they buck against them if they're problematic. You know, this was an, a more oppositional late teen situation. I think it depends on the teenager. But in this case, the teenager was acting out. And it sounds like you're speaking maybe of something like that or or something where the, the child cannot be controlled or there's a lot of fighting. And in this case, that was the case. And so I helped them learn some techniques for parenting better. I was able to offer them what I could. In this case, the child needed more than she needed more of a program that she could be in where there was also group therapy, which in some cases is better for teenagers than seeing an independent individual therapist. I think I'm just giving an example uh, of a case. I think often you don't do a family therapy as much. It depends on the teen. You, you might do individual treatment with the teenager and then have some parenting treatment for the parents, which is what some people do. And then other times people do a family therapy. It depends where you actually have the whole family come in. I am not a family therapist. And so I speak of this loosely because depending on the age of the child and what's going on with the family, you would make your choice about what kind of therapy they really need. And then you would also decide, do you see both the parents and the child yourself if you're the child's therapist or do you separate that? So the child feels like they have their own space and their parents see a separate therapist. I think it really is very dependent on your orientation as a therapist and also what the situation is, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. That makes sense. So, you know, for couples, individuals, there might be relationship problems, including communication, trust, commitment, sex, intimacy, infidelity, divorce, and as we talked about parenting. Couples fight and argue despite the best of relationships. What are the most common arguments that couples have? And I think there might be four of those up top. The most common arguments are about differences, I think. Differing perspectives, values, ways of doing things, expectations for the relationship. You'll hear couples complain they don't trust each other, often based on some past history of distrust, that there's a commitment problem with one of the members of the couple, or you find out when one complains about the commitment problem of the other, that underlying it, they both have trouble making a commitment. And the commitment they were having trouble with could be just to the relationship itself, but it might also extend to other kinds of commitments. And those could lead to lots of arguing. Sometimes you hear about just communication breakdown, and you realize when the couple's in front of you that they actually really have trouble even making a connection. And that is where I can help them. What I would say is that a lot of couples in general have a, they come in presenting about a certain problem, like a conflict about sex or money or their children or the division of you know, domestic and emotional labor, which is a really big topic, especially for women who feel they do much more than the men. And this is actually true statistically. So 
sometimes they come in and they're very tired of that situation. They want to change it. Though people come in with these real difficulties on the surface, and that's part of the discussion at first, often there are actually much deeper unconscious patterns or ways of relating that are not known by them that I can see and bring to consciousness that underlie the problems they're talking about. And if we can get to that place where we are dealing with things that are deeper in just the dynamic relating between them, we can actually really make progress on those patterns and also on the problems that are more clear to them on the surface. I love it though. All right, I'm going to take the whole thing again. Can you tell us about your dad just a little bit? Oh, I didn't realize you would ask me this. Um, My dad is a, a wonderful, groundbreaking champion of people figuring out how to take care of themselves. And he really has always worked really hard to help people so that they can get better at taking care of themselves and not develop disease. So right now he's really all about prevention of heart disease. That's his kind of more recent focus in his older age, but he's one of those amazing people who loves to work, did not retire till he was 90, is still able to speak very, and he's very vital and travel a little bit and, you know, bestow knowledge. And we grew up really believing in innovation and in challenging authority because that was something he had to do to develop his ways of working and his adventuresome nature and his willingness to try new things and take risks. So I think that's part of the legacy of our dad. And we're all very proud of him, the three of us. There are three of us who are his kids. So we, of course, can never be like him. We all all marvel at him, but um, we need more fun in life than he ever did. (laughs) All he did was work. (laughs) 